Have you ever had a conversation that changed the course of your day, week, month, maybe even year, or even on a whole other level, your entire life? Conversations happen, right, all the time. You're talking with family, friends, coworkers, in all kinds of ways. And sometimes those conversations can be easy, difficult, they can be insignificant, they can just be shooting the breeze, or they can have a real challenge to them, but they are important. And so every single day, we have to figure out how to have conversations. And it seems, right, we're living at a time where conversations seem to be getting more and more difficult. Like we're almost afraid to have some conversations because they might divide us, separate us out. And so we kind of pull back from talking with one another. And so for today, we're going to look at how do you have these hard conversations? How do you navigate difficult conversations in your life? And they can be over literally anything. How do we navigate those conversations in such a way that it really connects us more to the way Jesus navigated them? Because he did. He had really hard conversations. People were always coming at him. They wanted to put him in particular boxes. They wanted to get him stuck, trap him between a rock and a hard place. They wanted to divide him and his disciples. And so how did he navigate those that maybe can help us today in all the conversations that we have? And so we are going to look at the book of Matthew for that. And we're going to look at a few interactions that he has with three different groups of people. He's going to interact with Herod's followers, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And Sadducees and Pharisees often come up in the biblical context. They're always trying to get at him. The Pharisees are very concerned about doing everything just right. Like you have to follow the book. Very legalistic, very, this is the only way to do it. You ever met anybody like that? There is only their way of doing it. And then the Sadducees who are like, mm, I think you somehow threatened our power. The Sadducees are a little more on the side of, hey, how do we deal with Rome? We don't like you. And then Herod's followers, they're all about following whatever is popular at the moment. And so for ourselves, as we're thinking about that, as we're trying to navigate all the different kinds of conversations, what might Jesus offer us today? So starting in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verses 15 through 17. Then the Pharisees met together to find a way to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples along with the supporters of Herod to him. Teacher, they said, we know that you are genuine and that you teach God's ways as it really is. We know that you are not swayed by people's opinions because you don't show favoritism. So tell us what you think. Does the law allow people to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Okay, so first off, the Pharisees are behind this, but they have sent the, their followers, their disciples, and then they've also sent Herod's followers to confront Jesus. So the Pharisees are like, I don't really want to have the conversation with them, so send somebody else. This is called triangulation. This is called bringing somebody into the conversation that maybe really shouldn't be in the conversation, but you want them to go have 
what you that you want them to go talk to somebody else for you. So you need to have a conversation with X, but you're going to bring in somebody completely different to go have it you yourself. Maybe we've even experienced this and we verbalize it by going, why didn't they just come and talk to me? So we get a very quick sense of unhealthy conversations. This is an unhealthy setup. But then what they say to Jesus, also very unhealthy in the conversation, right? They start with flattery. Like they're like buttering them up. They want something out of them. Or they want him to drop his guard because they want to get him in trouble. They're trying to trap him. And so even that, uh, those conversations that, wait a minute, what, what is your agenda in the way that you're speaking with me, right? Not easy stuff here. And then they ask the question. They ask him a question that is a very volatile and divisive question of that day. Because the Jews hated Roman occupation. The Jews hated paying taxes to Rome. And so if he spoke in favor of Rome instead of the Jews, they would say, oh, you're against God. But if he spoke against Rome and in favor of the Jews, then they could go and run and tell Roman officials, hey, uh, guess what? This guy over here, he's speaking against Caesar, which is punishable by death. So three really unhealthy things here to realize about conversations and to think about it through ourselves of ever if we fall into, kind of thinking through, right? There's a sense of... How, are we, um, do we have an agenda in the conversation? What is that agenda? Does somebody else have an agenda? That thought of, wait a minute, are we triangulating? Are we bringing people into the conversation that don't need to be present? And then this third way of trapping, like a sense of why are you asking that question? Are you trying to, to hurt somebody? Are you trying to be mean? What is your intention? So when we are in conversations, they can be that difficult, right? And maybe we've been there and we're like, man, I feel you, Jesus. Like, this is not going to be fun. And yet he has to respond in such a way that it's a way forward. And he is going to respond in such a way that this hard conversation gives us a sense of, wait a minute, here's some potential in how we respond in our own. Continuing on in verses 18 through 23, or 22. Knowing their evil motives, Jesus replied, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used to pay the tax. And they brought him a denarian, whose image and inscription is this. He asked, Caesar's? They replied. Then he said, Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and to God what belongs to God. When they heard this, they were astonished, and they departed. Okay, so maybe we've heard this so many times that we don't really think about it. Um, but here, here, Jesus is doing something a little bit different, because they've set the trap for him, and he gets real honest. He's like, listen, I know your intentions about this. And the importance of having honest conversations, and sometimes if... One of us is on one side of it, and we've got somebody else of going, wait a minute, what, what is honest here? What, what are we trying to do with this conversation? 
But then he gives us another way of looking at the question. He gives us another way to answer it. And that, that has something special for our conversations. That has something special about the way we talk to each other. Do we leave room for possibilities? Do we leave room for other ways of thinking? Or are we so set on this is the only way, this is the only perspective to have on it, that maybe we miss something? And we miss something kind of profound because when Jesus says, give to Caesars what's Caesars and to God what is God's, he's offering them a way forward. And so when we can get honest in our conversations, it begins to help us in ways of going, okay, how can I maneuver? How can I go forward in ways that I never even expected? Even in really difficult conversations, right? And these followers go, oh, hadn't thought about that and they leave. They go. They go away astonished. And so conversations that are hard, those conversations, those hard conversations can even bring about new possibilities, new ways of thinking when we're willing to get honest, when we're willing to look at a different way forward. So continuing on in verses 23 through 28, that same day, Sadducees, who denied that there is a resurrection, came to Jesus. They asked, Teacher, Moses said, If a man who doesn't have children dies, his brother must marry his wife and produce children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers among us. The first one married, then died. Because he had no children left, he left his widow to his brother. The same thing happened with the second brother and the third, and in fact, with all seven brothers. Finally, the woman died, at the resurrection, which of the seven brothers will be her husband? They were all married to her. All right. First off, uh, you know, part of me wants to make a joke here about, wow, okay, if you've gone through that many husbands, maybe you should say, eh, maybe I'm finished. But here's what we got to know about the ancient world. Life was very precarious. It's precarious today but even more so then. And so they were very concerned with the, in the Hebrew scriptures about procreation, about life, about life continuing. And we also have to know that it was also precarious far more for women than it was for men. And so if a woman did not have a male heir, was not given a male heir to protect her as she aged, her life was very much on the line. And so this was an attempt in the Hebrew scriptures to make sure the woman was safe, that there was somebody watching out for her. There was somebody protecting her. And here we get that sense of looking back, of going, wait a minute, like this moment of saying, how many did you go through and what's going on actually goes to Genesis and Deuteronomy of saying there is another way forward in this of when we experience death. But the Sadducees here, the Sadducees want to focus upon death. They want to focus upon the end. And here it's going, wait a minute, no, 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 no. We have got to look at life. And that's where Jesus is going to take up this question that it is more than that. And the other part about this to know is the Sadducees, the resurrection, they don't believe in the resurrection. Other Jewish groups do believe in the resurrection, but they do not. 
and they have a particular understanding of what they think it is. And Jesus is about to turn that right on upside down. So continuing on in verses 29 through 33, Jesus responded, You are wrong because you don't know either the scriptures or God's power. At the resurrection, people won't marry, nor will they be given in marriage. Instead, they will be like angels from God. As for the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what God told you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. Now, when the crowd heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. All right. So Jesus is responding here. Jesus is like, you think you are so focused in one way on this conversation. You are so focused upon death that you cannot understand where life is. And so he says it with, as for the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what God told you? I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. So not only is Jesus responding to like their sense of, well, how does the relationship continue? But he's saying, no, no, you're focused on the wrong part of the relationship. You're focused upon the part that is related to death. You've got to focus upon life. How are you cultivating life in your conversations? Think about that for a moment. How are you cultivating life? Not death. How are you cultivating hope? How are you cultivating joy? What are you cultivating when you have conversations, when you're in discussions with others? Do they leave you? Do you come at it? Everything's falling apart. Do they just kind of continue to bring you down? Or is there something more about it? Do they elevate? Do they give you new perspective? Do they show you a new way? Do you get to be honest or say, you know what? You don't have to be honest, but I'm going to be honest. So here... Here is the moment of God, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is the purpose of my conversations? Every conversation that we have of taking that step back and is this a conversation where I am focused upon life giving, of cultivating energy, of something good, or is it about only the problem of what is wrong and how it's all falling apart? And so Jesus here is asking, challenging the Sadducees, wait a minute, you have got to refocus. Finishing up in verses 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speechless, they met together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You must love your neighbor as you love yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Maybe we've heard that, right? Maybe we've heard you got to love God, you got to love your neighbor, and Jesus isn't stating anything new. He actually is saying things out of the book of Deuteronomy and out of Leviticus, but he is telling the Pharisees who know all the laws. They know these laws in Deuteronomy. They know the laws in Leviticus. They've heard this before, and yet they do not like to follow it because it's hard. In fact, my guess is we've heard it for a number of years and it is still hard for us, even when we want to try, 
right? We want to try to do it, but it is so hard, it is so difficult that maybe we sometimes kind of shove it aside. And so here, Jesus is bringing this back into focus. He's bringing it back into the focus as the foundation of their very lives, as the foundation of all of their conversations, to love God and to love neighbor. And that is really hard. That is really hard when we feel like we are attacked, when we get defensive, when we feel like things are falling apart, when we are like, I don't know what your agenda is. Are you really being honest with me? That is very, very hard. And yet Jesus here is slipping it in and saying, what is the foundation of your life? What is the foundation? What is the value that carries all of it? And if we think back of everything that he said, whether to the followers of Herod, to the Sadducees, or to here the Pharisees, he has hit on three topics that really are difficult conversations. The first one was money. Money is a very difficult conversation. Otherwise, it, what is the number one reason for divorce? Right? Money is a hard conversation. The second is relationships. Like, who's related to who? And how is that working out? And relationships, right? We've, I've said this most recently. Relationships would be e easy if it weren't for the people. Right? And so here, we've got this sense of having hard conversations in our relationships. And then third, the conversation of what is the foundation of our very lives? What actually carries us forth? Because this whole thing about changed heart changes our conversations and ultimately changes our lives. Because as we know, we can have a conversation that can shift us, that can move us, that can direct us in new ways in almost an instant. We can have conversations that have us flying on cloud nine or have us in the pits of despair. And so how we come at conversations, how we decide to talk with one another, whether we know people or not, over the hardest of topics, how will we have a conversation that's connected to the ways of Jesus, that's connected to the ways that he gives us going forward? How will we say no to those unhealthy aspects? How will we say no to triangulation? How will we say no to agendas? How will we say no to dishonesty? How will we say no to those things that are destructive and say yes to, okay, it's going to be the harder route. It's the harder way. But how do we say yes to the foundation of loving God and loving neighbor? How do we say yes to those moments of going, okay, let's talk about this, but what's our focus? How do we say yes to the possibilities? How do we say yes to a new way of thinking, a new way of moving forward? How do we say yes that is connected to God? Amen. Mm -hmm.